Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, Before I introduce my guest, just one housekeeping item. For those of you that are willing, please go to Apple Podcasts and review our podcast. You can leave a star rating, or even more importantly, you can leave a written review. We almost always have positive written reviews, but somebody like this, about three one-star reviews came in from people that clearly aren't really listening to the podcast, and I'd love to sort of mute those by having new reviews. So if you have time, that would be something I'd sure appreciate. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Audrey Chug. Welcome to the podcast, Audrey. Thanks for having me. Will you spell your first and last name for our listeners? Yeah, it's A-U-D-R-E-Y-C-H-U-G-G. And is it pronounced Chug? Yes. Okay. Quite the last name. (laughs) It's a great last name. Um, Thanks. We're going to talk for the first time in 300 plus episodes. We have a new subject, but it's a subject that um, we should have talked a lot earlier about and is something that we need to talk about, and it's eating disorders. And Audrey's brave enough to talk about her own eating disorder and what led her to recovery. And for those of you, really, it's all of us, what can we do if we don't have an eating disorder to develop better vocabulary and better tools, better way of talking so we don't cause this to come into other people's lives or increase the likelihood? And for those of you that have an eating disorder, our prayer, and we offered a prayer before we start, is the things Audrey shares will be helpful for you as she's um, recovered from this after several years. I became aware of Audrey the way many of my podcast guests, they just reach out, they get an impression to be on the podcast, and I'm fine with people that reach out and wonder if their story would be helpful. Every story, everybody has a story, Um, and I'll just read this. Hi, Brother Asa, I'm reaching out because I've been so touched by the podcast on pornography. Savannah Paul is one of my best friends, and I've known a lot about their story. Spread. Seeing it spread so much good has been amazing. Um, One thing I've noticed in my relationships is what pornography is to most men, eating disorders is to women. I don't think that is by chance. I think the two fight against each other and can be a major strain on relationships if not resolved. I've developed and struggled through an eating disorder for a few years, a few years ago that lasted for a few years and struggled with body image, disordered eating my whole life. Um, If you'd ever like someone to be on the podcast to talk about how the gospel tied into my recovery, let me know. So we've been trading messages for a month, and now we're doing this podcast. So on behalf of all our listeners, Audrey, thanks for doing this. Um, Anything you just want to say, anything you want to say before we get started? Um. Yeah, nothing's coming to mind. Let's just, let's do it. Yeah. By way of bio, um, Audrey is 26. She is a BYU major in public health. She graduated actually. So we're finally alumnus. (laughs) Alumnus in public health um, from BYU and has a couple jobs right now. Contract tracing because of COVID. Um, We have some family members doing that. It's kind of intense. And you also have a second job. Tell our listeners what your second job is. Yeah, so I work at a physical therapy office with a physical therapist, and I just work directly with patients and um, get them through their workouts and things like that. So it's a good time. And you can't do that remotely. So both of those jobs, you are not at home on either of those jobs. I'm at home for the contact tracing, yes, but for the physical therapy office, it's a full-time gig at the clinic. So yeah. And um, tell our listeners where you served a mission. I went to Oklahoma City. (laughs) tornado capital of the world and audrey is in her mid-20s um single lives in north ogden take us back to pre-mission were there did you have an eating disorder growing up as a teenager those years from 12 to 19 take us back to those years um and just i don't know if this is relevant information but i actually live in lehigh i was just raised in north ogden that is relevant we like to get all those we like to get the geography correct. So, yeah, but anyways, so, um, yeah, I think that my, just going back, starting there, I think my body image issues developed at a very young age and definitely started 
increasing and getting worse as I went into, as my mom likes to call it, the armpit of life, junior high and high school that eventually led to where, where I had an eating disorder in my early twenties. But I just remember a lot of comparison as a, as a junior high girl. And, you know, I consider myself a very healthy person and I always have been. Um, but for some reason I had these very skewed thoughts and ideas of who I was, especially at such a young age. Talk more about that. And thanks just being vulnerable. Talk more about, just talk more about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, oh gosh, there's so many things I could say. I have always been tall for my age, for for a girl, I guess you could say. And so I think culturally, I looked at other girls and I thought, I'm slightly different than these girls. My my body looks a little bit different. Therefore, I this must not be right. And, you know, I, I'm the oldest of my family. I have two younger brothers and they would be eating like crazy at home. And, and I would be thinking, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Or do I eat less than them? I just, I had no real direction about what I was supposed to be doing to fuel my body. And I think that's because so much is just it, eating and everything around this and exercising is so individual for a person that it can be really lost with cultural things going around us. Talk about um, the culture that caused you to sort of wonder. Um, do you think you would have wondered anyway, or do you think it was cultural narratives or social media or discussions that caused you then to wonder more than you would normally wonder in a different era? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think you know, this is a little bit different than what we were talking about originally, because it's making me think back. And I think that I would have still noticed maybe me being taller and and looking a little bit different than other girls, but I don't think I would have thought about it and obsessed over it as much without the culture being the way it was. And, and that just meaning everything that's around us, you know, I, I would read magazines and see these people on TV and even the girls around me. And, um, I definitely felt like there was a standard, especially maybe even so in the church. So um, hate to admit it, but but yeah. So will you define an eating disorder for us? Yes, um, and this is really good that we're getting into this too because it's something I wanted to say. An eating disorder is, for me, this isn't a textbook de- definition by any means, but. I think a lot of people struggle with disordered eating habits, and I think that's very normal and natural. An eating disorder is where, well, it shouldn't be normal and natural, but I think that it's very prevalent, I guess is what I should say. An eating disorder is where that becomes to the point where life doesn't move on as it should, where it becomes an addiction, an addiction of thought or an addiction of obsessiveness that a person can't kick without outside resources. Is there, for our listeners, Audrey, is there some similarities between an eating disorder and pornography use? Yeah, I, at least in, in my perspective, I think there is. Um, with what I know about pornography use is a lot of times, not all the time, it is used to as a coping mechanism for for things that are maybe uh, anxiety or depression, a way to cope with that. And an eating disorder is very much the same thing, especially in my case, I was depressed and I was anxious and, and food was the way that I, I coped with it. And, um, that's a pretty good insight. I like that insight. I, it gives me more context. We've done a lot of pornography podcasts and obviously pornography is a sin and eating disorder isn't, but Sort of the root of that, as Audrey's explained, there's some similarities there. Talk about, Audrey, just the this, you know, an eating disorder, how that is a way to cope with stress, anxiety, um, escape. Um, for someone that never's had an eating disorder, they might not be able to link that and understand that. Definitely. And so I think with that, everyone, no matter who you are, numbs in different ways with feelings that they have about their life. And with eating, it becomes something where in in the church, we have 
standards that we strive to live by. For me, if I realized it or not, it was just my way to cope with feelings of pain without breaking any commandments. Um, do you want to talk more about the pain you were feeling in these teenage years, the source, kind of the roots of what was going on that led you to an eating disorder? Yeah, I think, I mean, when I was a teenager, I think it was as simple as not really knowing who I was and just trying to figure out life. I think as I got older, it became a little bit deeper. Um, but I was a pretty happy teenager in general. I think the heavy stuff hit harder. That's when good. I, got older. I like the I like that answer that it's not just this big, you know, deep answer. It's just it just came as part of your life. Yeah. And I think that definitely, especially as a teenager too, my habits were more they, I could consider them more disordered eating and kind of ups and downs with that versus um the depths of an eating disorder, what I which is what I had later. Will you just dis define disordered eating? Um Yes, definitely. So that's any kind of eating pattern that might not be healthy for a normal human body. <laughs> um, something, some sort of thoughts that the person has like, oh, because of this, I shouldn't be eating that or this, or I should skip a meal or something like that. Just sporadic eating disorder habits that happen more sporadically. That helps. Um, talk about what it sounds like this led to a more serious event that led to, you know, talk about what led up to sort of coming to terms with this or seeking therapy or saying, this is now a big enough deal that I've got to do something different. There were a lot of things that led up to me realizing that I had an eating disorder and it wasn't something that was just so obvious to me or even other people around me because I think a really common expectation is to, to look at a certain person that has an eating disorder and be like, oh, I can totally tell. We, we expect them to look a certain way, right? Um, and I just, I didn't fit that mold. I didn't look that way. In fact, my weight fluctuated a lot in the, the decade that I really struggled with it. Um, so yeah, I think that's important to note that people can be underweight, they can be overweight, or they can even be at a seemingly healthy weight and still have an eating disorder. Um, and so it wasn't something that was just so obvious to me and other people around me. And so as far as what really led me up to realizing it, in a really brief way, I would say that confidence was rooted in what others thought about me, right? What teenager doesn't have that? And then as I went to college before my mission, I realized, oh, what is this? I don't know what this life is. And so it became more of a focus on my grades. And that was where I got my sense of worth from. And then as a missionary, it was how hard of a worker can I be? And how obedient of a missionary can I be? And it was the sense of control that was so prevalent in my life that I felt like I needed to control everything. Um, and when things that I couldn't control were all of a sudden ripped away from me, I found something else to control. So when I got home from my mission, all of a sudden I felt like I was a real adult in society because I had served a mission. I graduated high school. It was, this was the real deal now. And so I was just kind of lost. I think I, I, I didn't know who to place my confidence in. And that was the Lord. Um, but at that time I was just so confused and I was taking a nutrition class at BYU. And that's actually the thing that helped me realize that my habits and my thoughts about myself weren't right or real. Um, there was a few, there were a few lectures that made me feel really uncomfortable. And afterwards I just felt really anxious and more depressed and I couldn't figure out why. And our professor had us do this essay where we had to, or no, that's what we had to do. We had to keep a food log for a few days for some sort of something for class. And I remember specifically lying about what I ate and how much I ate or how little I ate. And I thought this might not be right. <laughs> and I threw that class as I kind of started to realize that maybe stuff that I was doing wasn't correct. They had brought up at the end of class one day, we were talking about eating disorders in that lecture that day, some resources on campus that, that people could reach out to. And that was the first thing that I went to to get help and see if it was an issue. It's very brave. Why 
did those lectures make you feel uncomfortable? I think, you know, eating disorder isn't a sin, like we just talked about earlier, but in any way, shape or form, things that you're doing in your life that you know you don't want in your life that are kind of called out in front of you are going to make you feel uncomfortable. And that's how those classes made me feel because we were talking about eating disorders, but then also we were talking about how the body actually digests food. And I just had this skewed idea that, no, I can't ever have this food or that food or this type of macronutrient because my body processes it in the, in a not a good way. And then I become bigger than I want to be. And then learning the science behind it made me realize, oh, well, that's maybe not true. And that challenged my mindset. And I didn't like that. And I felt uncomfortable. I like that part of your story. I think a lot of us, as we're um, experiencing potential personal growth, um, have those kind of experiences. And I think one of the great tests of our character, Audrey, is what we do. Um, if we, it, I think instinctively we would want to withdraw from those experiences and those feelings. But I think um, as a way of just personal growth and getting to the next level, to sit with that and to sort, you may not have to deal with it day one. You may need to sit with it a while, but eventually get the courage to sort of face that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it sounds like you did that and you said, I'm going to go tell us where you went and, and how that went for you. Yeah, no, just to bounce off what you said really quickly though, I think you're right. I think no matter what it is in our lives, it's easy for us to stick our head in the sand and just turn a blind eye and say, no, I don't want to deal with this. And I think for years I did that. And it was, it was one day that I think my heart was touched in a way that hadn't been touched before. And I was willing to actually look at it for what it was. So I'm glad that we said that. But so the first, that first um, resource that I reached out to, and I looked this up earlier, BYU is still doing it. It was a group called fed up <laughs> and um I went in and I scheduled an appointment with a student dietitian who interviewed me to see if I would be a candidate for this class or this group. And it turned out that I was. And what it was, um, every Thursday night, we met as a group of other people who were struggling with eating disorders. And we were paired up with someone who had already been through the the journey. <laughs> and we went through the 12 steps in addiction recovery programs. And we just talked a wow. lot. And there's a dietitian there. There was a therapist there. It was a great time. Um, why was it a great time? You've got a, a listener. Audrey has a big smile on her face. This does not look like a real painful part of her life. It may have been at times, but the, the body language, a smile is this is a, this is a something you enjoyed. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, don't get me wrong. I was really sad at the time, but things like this brought me joy. And I think that that was because Christ was in every one of these moments with me because in, in that moment, when I finally decided to, to talk to people about this, that shared empathy that I felt to realize that I wasn't alone was so much more prevalent in my life. And suddenly I felt like I was comforted because there were people that understood my whole life. I thought I've, I've heard of eating disorders. I know what they are, but I had never known anyone that had had one. It didn't seem real until that moment. Um, we're not going to talk about your specific eating disorders. Will you share with our listeners why? Yeah, for, and I hope that the people who are actually listening to this podcast are people who are maybe struggling with it right now. And for those people, and I know this because I've been there, hearing other people's diagnoses, diagnoses or um, specific habits or things like that, quantities, whatever it might be, is really triggering. And so it's best to just keep things as broad as possible for people like that, because no matter what kind of habits you have or what you've been diagnosed with, the principle applies for any eating disorder, whether it be anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, any one of them. And thank you for that. That's helpful for me to understand. I wouldn't have known that. And I think we've maybe had some people talk at this at times a little bit. Some of that's ringing a bell. Um, talk about, I just want to understand more. Go ahead. 
sorry, I was just going to say, having said that, I'm very much willing to open up about that kind of thing. If people ask me specifically, I just wanted to keep that as a broad thing for this podcast for who knows who might be listening. But and if I, you ask me, I'm an open book. And if I feel yeah. like it's a good thing to share, then I totally I like will. that. So it's, there's, I think Audrey's not creating shame around her diagnosis. She's, or a specific thing. She's just trying not to talk about her story in a way that impacts people in a negative way. 100%. So I sense your total open book. Talk, I'd like to learn more about the therapy. So just help our listeners understand more what happened in case people are wondering, would this help me and how would it change me? Yeah, no, definitely. And I, if you want, I can go into other things that I was doing as well as that group. Well, go for it. Yeah. Um, but that, so that group specifically was really good. And I don't know, maybe homegirl Heather will be listening to this podcast, but she, she was the girl that I was paired up with who had been through this before. And, um, so much of that group that was helpful for me was, was Heather because she was, I, I knew that I could reach out to her at any time and she would be able to relate with me. So other than having that group um, that I could rely on every week. It was, it was Heather specifically, um, specifically, did I say that right? Yes, you did. <laughs> specifically. But, um, I did see an individual therapist just one-on-one as well. And something that I would like to point out is, and something that I don't think a lot of people realize I had to go through, I didn't have to go through, I went through three different therapists before I found a therapist that I felt like was right for me. I think a lot of people, they expect therapy to be rainbows and unicorns the first couple of times they go or the opposite, you know, they're dreading it and they just, whatever. But, um, a lot of times it takes a minute to find someone who you really jive with and who really understands you. And the first therapist I went to wasn't eating disorder specific. The second one was, but I didn't feel like there was necessarily a very strong connection with us. The third therapist I went to, I felt like changed my life. Wow. That's cool. So sometimes it takes a little bit of work and that's okay to to find the therapist that's right for you. I love that. Um, so I was seeing, so I was going to the fed up group. I was going to a therapist. I wrote this down. <laughs> I was seeing a dietitian. I was going to another group therapy at BYU and I was going to a lunch group at BYU. So every Monday we would meet up and we would have lunch together. And that was led by two therapists at BYU. Um, and then lastly, I was going to, um, towards the end, not at the same time, but I was going to another 12-step group at the Center for Change in Orem, which is an incredible place. And we can talk about that later, but yeah. So I was doing a lot. <laughs> it sounds like you took this head on. Talk about just skills you developed or um, just I kind of want to, you know, Audrey, at the beginning of this, you know, sort of this realization, I've got work to do and willing to step in that pain. And Audrey, now, um, what, help us understand what fundamentally changed within you. Yes, the, the fundamental biggest differences that I have seen in my life are my dependence on Christ, my testimony, my confidence, and then other than that, just my outlook on food has completely changed. It's no longer something that I dread and hate and assign moral to. And by that, I mean, you hear this all the time, like, oh, I can't eat that. That's a bad food. Or I, I did so good today because I ate blah, blah, blah. My entire mindset around food has, has changed because of these things that I did. And of course, with the help of everyone around me. Lastly, just going back to what we touched on earlier, I just learned through this whole experience that just healthy ways to cope with stress as well as general tools to not get stressed out as much. Um, And then most of the issues with depression went away as I learned more about who I am as a person and just gained more confidence in myself. That's cool. Um, I want to go back. I want to go on to both of those more. Talk about the role of Christ. Um, that first little bit you just said, I sense your relationship with Christ and your self-worth significantly shifted to Christ as mm-hmm. part of this. Talk more about that. Because you've obviously yeah. been very focused on Christ. You've been on a mission. So it's not like you've come from 
a non-religious background found Christ, you've had Christ in your life. Talk about just kind of taking it to the next level and what happened there. Yeah. And I think that there was definitely a point in, in my eating disorder. And I think that this is okay to share where I was a little frustrated at Christ and I didn't know how this applied in my life. And I didn't know how to invite him into my life with this. You hear all the time in the church, you know, just apply the atonement and you'll be fine. And I just remember feeling so frustrated because I'm like, what, what does that mean? Okay. Apply the atonement. What does that mean? And I'll never forget. So president elder Nelson at the time, president Nelson now in April of 2017, gave a conference talk about drawing upon the power of Christ into our lives. And it had been a few years and I had finally kind of started coming to this conclusion, but he talks about how there's not this, this random entity of the atonement that we can just draw into our lives. It's, it's just actively inviting the savior into your life every single day. And that's how you can feel his enabling power. And so I don't even really remember your question anymore, to be honest, but I think just as I focus on him and learn about him and invite his spirit into my life, I can feel the peace and the comfort and the joy that comes from living the gospel and inviting the spirit into my life. And that right there helps me to have the confidence that I need that will get me through the day without having to engage in disordered eating habits. I love that. I love, I love your honesty about just take advantage of the atonement. I, that's a complex thing to do. I think, (laughs) um, and it's this sort of bucket of, of stuff over there that just solves all our problems, but it's kind of hard to access that sometimes and know exactly the formula to use the atonement to heal us and help us. And I call this the non-sin part of the atonement. Um, the enabling power of the atonement to just heal. Um, so I love that. I, I've always loved, you know, it's still a work in process for me is to make myself worth tied into things I can directly control. And maybe more and even importantly than that is my relationship with the Savior, because I can completely control my relationship with the Savior. And if my worth is tied into my relationship with the Savior and heavenly parents and not with worldly stuff, that's where I do the best. But at 59, that still is a part of my journey that I haven't completed. But I just am self-aware that at times my self-worth gets tied into things that aren't those things. More you want to talk about the Savior and self-worth tied into um, the Savior or Heavenly Parents? Um, something that I learned over this I hate to call it journey, (laughs) but over this journey, I guess, for lack of a better term, with the the concept of walking into a room and not having confidence being, you know, in in an eating disorder perspective, probably the prettiest person in the room, but it could be applied for the smartest person in the room or whatever it might be, and not caring whether or not you are that person in the room because it doesn't matter. Um, and not, not because it may or may not be true, but because it doesn't matter because everyone in the room is a child of God. And that being the most important thing that, that brings self-worth to, to someone than anything else, that we all have this innate worth that just comes with us. And we just have to remember that we have that because we have a loving Heavenly Father and a Savior who died for us. Love that. Talk about this other segment you briefly mentioned about food, like bad food, good food, reward. I can't remember the exact words, but I just wrote down the word food. Like, just talk more about that. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to cut out a lot of my yeah ums. <laughs> but this is like going out of lunch. We have yeah yums. Our listeners can handle it. It's just right. real. Uh, seriously. So, Culturally, and I think this is something that culturally attributes to eating disorders, you hear all the time, people who are trying to lose weight or even just going about their their normal lives, oh, I'm going to have a cheat day today, or I cheated this weekend, or I hate this one, I was naughty this weekend, or <laughs> something about that in, rela- in relation to food. And um, something I really had to learn through my eating disorder was that food does not have morality t- tied to it at all. And so- That's cool. Yeah, 
<laughs> crazy concept, but <laughs> it's, it's, you can eat a chocolate chip cookie and just experience the cookie and realize that was a really yummy cookie. And I enjoyed that experience. And I am not any worse or any better for having that versus this kale salad over here. That's cool. Yeah, Audrey, why don't you talk to us about things you would not say, and if you want to, even things you should say to someone who has lost weight? There's a couple of things, and I think it obviously depends on each person, each relationship. But just in general, I would, if you're walking up to someone and you haven't talked to them in a while, or it's even been a week or whatever, just don't bring it up as the first topic of conversation. I am um, throughout my eating disorder. I think I had times where that was the first thing that people would talk about was my weight when they talked to me and it was all well-meaning and I'm grateful for those people. Don't get me wrong. But I think having that be the, the very first topic, it almost seems like it's almost the focus now of your relationship. Like I'm going to talk to you about your weight and I've noticed that this, this is different. And, um, and it just makes it seem like everything's going to be focused around that. And so in a genuine conversation, if a person really cares about another person and the person that's gained weight or lost weight or whatever it might be, feels comfortable around it eventually, then they, it will probably come up eventually because there's going to be a deeper issue there that if they feel that empathy and that love from whoever it is that they're talking to, then it's probably going to be something that they'll bring up eventually. So as far as things to specifically not say though, I would just suggest to not say something like, oh, wow, you look really good because it implies if you've lost weight, you look really good. It implies that that you didn't before, where I think it's really important to appreciate everyone at every stage of life that they're in, even if they could be a little bit healthier. That's their life at the current moment. So, um, for example, I have a uh, I have a friend and at one point I asked her, like she's trying to lose weight. And I didn't really know how she wanted me to talk about the conversation with her as, as the months progressed. And so I just, I straight up asked her, I said, do you want me to comment when I have noticed differences or changes in you? And we talked about that and just set expectations. And so that was a really good conversation too. So even just setting expectations at the get-go um, around a conversation like that. Love that. I think that just seems like a smart thing to do and sets boundaries. So that's great. Yeah, boundaries are a good thing to set no matter no matter what, I think. Um, but earlier we had talked about a little bit off camera kind of what, what parents would, like how parents could raise kids surrounding this, right? And so I'm trying to kind of remember. And so girls versus boys, right. um, I would do anything different there. And thinking about that, um, and I do want to preface this with like, my parents did a great job raising me. <laughs> I, I think they're awesome. So yeah, I just think it's important to say that nothing that I'm about to say is correlated with how they raised me or who they are at all. And so I think first and foremost, even though girls and boys are different biologically, and a lot of times boys need more food than girls, I wouldn't raise kids very differently as far as girls versus boys at the dinner table or snacks or whatever it might be. Just because based off of the simplicity that I think there's a lot of monitoring that goes into girls more often than boys in the home and having not having an option for a girl to have a second, like not, okay, the parents saying, oh, who wants seconds, but not offering it to the girl starts kind of warping this idea in her head, like, oh, I'm not allowed to have that. Therefore, it becomes something that's just like almost more desirable because it's not available. Does that make sense? It does. And I like your use of the word warp. It just creates a way of seeing and a way of feeling that in can have lasting impacts. So I agree with that. Yeah. And really that's what eating disorders really are is it's just a bunch of warped ideas that just have to be straightened out. And you can do that in so many different avenues. And I shared some of them earlier, um, but just figuring out which avenues are going to help you straighten out the warped thoughts that, that have come <laughs> throughout life. So, um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Do you have any other questions surrounding um, specifically like raising kids or anything like that? 
I just like generally what you said, Audrey, that you're just normalizing and not trying to create, I just create um, differences between boys and girls and just normalizing food eating because then it doesn't become generally a problem later on. Mm -hmm. And to create self-worth not around body type, but around relationships and other things that are within our control and not around body type. And so this is very, very helpful for just how to create better framework for healthy relationships and healthy self-image. I agree. And if I, I'll say one more thing maybe, and I think that along with what you're saying, something that's really important is having a dialogue in the home where the parents aren't necessarily commenting on the weight of their friends or sister so-and-so in the ward who seem to have gained weight because guess what? It doesn't matter. And it's not our business because <laughs> um, conversations like that also kind of make kids realize like, Oh, like are, are people talking about me like that? And, or what are people saying behind their closed doors? And so just realizing that health is so important because of course we're not here saying that we should just do whatever we want with our bodies because it's really important to be healthy. But, but the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what people do with their lives and all we're all we can do is is do the best for our own bodies. I think um, I really agree with you. I think kids pick up what parents talk about in the context of other people, and it creates the way of seeing in them that it may be inappropriate or appropriate based on what parents talk about. But if they're talking, just like you said about you know people in the ward or people in their other communities, body types and people that are gaining weight or losing weight, or just other defining people by body type anyway, I think creates a way of seeing is the best way I can describe it is as kids are getting hardwired and those conversations can cause them to see themselves that way versus describing people by things that are, I think I preach my gospel chapter six, Christ-like attributes. So I hope that my conversations, my wife, as we're talking about people it's generally positive and we're generally defining people in a positive way by Christ-like attributes, which are things within their control. And then kids are hearing that and think that's the things I want to develop in my life. Empathy, compassion, humility, listening, um, these Christ-like attributes that are so critical and within our control, why body type may or, you know, body type isn't within our control, weight, you know, may be. Um, so I really like what you're sharing with us. Any more thoughts before we move on? No, I don't think so. I love what you said about Christ-like attributes because that's the main focus as it should be. <laughs> and this is a little, it may be a sister topic, but I recognize also as some listeners have pointed out and some women in my life that we create also this narrative that boys aren't, you can't control boys' hormones. So it's it's the women's job, the teenage women's job to control boys' hormones. So you need to dress modestly because we're out of control. Um, And I don't like, I didn't pick up on that until the last 10 years. And women just said, don't, you know, that's, don't, that's not fair. You know, it's sort of like men are responsible for their own actions and it's not my responsibility. And let me be who I feel is the very best me and not have that in the context of, uncontrollable men. Is that something you want to talk any more about? Or is that kind of a different topic? But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, it's a sister topic for sure. But it it definitely ties into this. And I have a lot of thoughts about that. And I think I'll share a few of them. Good. Um, because I, def- I think there's gray areas, right? And so I think that women do need to respect themselves in the fact that we we should dress modestly and appropriately but realizing that mo- that our motives behind that should mostly be for ourselves because we respect ourselves and we don't want to just be out there for anyone um, rather than it being we're doing it for the men. I actually loved your answer is, um, you know, you're doing this for you and being the very best you are not in the context of your responsibility to keep men um, under control. So I love that. And I love your answer there. And I think we just need to improve that narrative in our culture. Um, Talk, I just want to keep you talking about your future family and other things that you do to create the kind of uh, body image you want to create in a daughter and a son. Yeah. 
positive self-talk is something that I learned a lot throughout my recovery. I didn't realize how negatively I was talking about myself. And that's something that I struggled with since I was in junior high. And I think that's something that we all struggle with. Um, and so in, in my future family and in my life now around my roommates, I really, really try to not say anything negative in my head about my body, but also out loud trying to get validation from maybe other people in the room, like saying, Oh, I'm not loving this or, but talking positively about my image and not only positively about it, but also in the way of, Oh, I'm so grateful that I can have this sport that makes me feel really good after I play it. And I have a ton of fun while I play it. And I'm not ever belittling my body in front of anyone or myself because the talk that we have in our head is going to be manifest outwardly. And we never know what we're saying about ourselves and how that's going to affect others around us. And there's probably other things too. I don't remember the original question, just other things I'm going to do for my kids. Right. Yeah. But I actually really love that answer because I think you said we seek for validation. And one way to do that is to belittle ourselves, knowing that people will validate and, and help us hear the things we need to hear. And all of us need to hear good things about ourselves, but I love you're kind of living a higher law and it helps you have a better narrative about yourself if you're not belittling yourself in a way to seek validation and you're just at peace with all, and you don't need to do that. And I think you're just in a better spot and a better head spot. And I love the steps you took to get there. And that's a great spot to be in. Other things that come, so that improves the whole conversation as a mother around your, a son and a daughter is you're not belittling yourself about your body. So they're not picking that up and, mm-hmm. and, and mimicking the same behavior. So I think a lot of kids really pick up things from their parents about how they talk about their bodies or how parents talk about other people's bodies that they sort of get hardwired into them. Other thoughts on what you do as a parent? Yeah, I think um, with the ever-growing presence of social media, <laughs> um, I've heard it's really important as as a parent to, when you are on your phone, be narrating, narrating what you're doing to your kids. Like, hey, I'm sending off an email really quick, or hey, I'm texting your dad, or even if I am on social media, to be like, to uh, explain to my kids, this is what I'm looking at, and this is why I think that it's okay for me to look at it. Um, and just being really open with things that I think are are good for us to be engaging in and things that are that we need to engage in more sparingly, such as social media and making sure that we're following appropriate things and not using it in in ways that we shouldn't because kind of tying back to that pornography example, I think what what boys can get hooked typically what you know, boys usually typically get hooked into pornography at a young age. I think girls do the exact same thing. As soon as a girl is handed a smartphone or an Instagram account, she that's the moment that she's going to start comparing herself to everyone that is around her. I like that. How much of social media was part of your journey that just got you in a bad spot? I don't know if I want to use the word bad spot, but just got you in a place where you need to recover. Was social media a big part of that? Fortunately, I feel like I was kind of on the very tail end in high school of Facebook was there, but it wasn't really on our phones. And so I think it affected me a little bit kind of in my early 20s, but not as much as other people have. And so I feel really lucky with that. And so I think a lot of my philosophies with that is recognizing that it can be a really big issue and hopefully trying to prevent that with my future kids. But I just in general in my life, I only follow accounts that bring me joy. And I um, feel very confident in doing that. And if there is something that I find myself comparing myself to, I I pause and I stop and I think, okay, why am I doing this? This isn't healthy. And I don't necessarily need to unfollow that person because a lot of times that's probably my own mindset that I need to figure out. And then I move on. I like that. I only follow accounts that bring me joy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that. And I think that's a boundary of that you've developed as a sign of maturity that says I'm confident enough about myself and self-aware of myself that I'm just going to only follow accounts that bring me joy. That's a pretty good statement. And then just have the confidence to do that and rec and just be at peace that there's a lot of content I'm not seeing, but it, 
I don't need to see it to be the person I I am right now and need to be. That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, talk about, um, you're not married right now. Will you talk to your husband as you're dating and getting engaged about your eating disorder? 100%. Why? <laughs> Why? I think that things like this, although I consider myself recovered, 100% like full, not, no, I, sorry. Although I consider myself recovered, I think that food and um, my struggles with food are, is always going to be a part of me. And I'm not ignorant enough to think that maybe somewhere down the line, I might have a quote unquote slip up again, or I might have a bad day and I emotionally eat, but guess what? We all do that, <laughs> you know? And I think I want that to be something that my husband aware is aware of, not only just because of that, but then also it was, it was a really, really big part of my life. And regardless of the fact that I'm recovered, I want him to know about it because it has made me who I am today. And I would hope that my future husband and I hope that other people also realize that even though they have things in their past, that those are the most special parts about us because they've brought us to, to the point that we are at today and that our that spouses do deserve to know about these things also, just in case something does come up in the future and that it's not this thing that was like this big secret that they were trying to hide forever. Great answer. What, what do you hope he'll say to you when you first open up about your eating disorder? Um, and I've disclosed it to boyfriends in the past and guys I've dated. And, and I hope that my future husband appreciates me for it and recognizes that it was a really hard thing that I did, but that also that we just realized that it was just a thing and it's in my past and it's not who I am. I think a lot of times people who are stuck in addictions, we think that it's, it's who we are. And something that really helped me throughout my eating disorder was to actually assign, we called it Ed. It was a guy, so E.D., Ed. <laughs> and it was almost like he was this bad relationship that we had to break up with. So it was the separate entity cool. that wasn't us that that I needed to just get rid of in my life. And so at this point, that my eating disorder was just a thing, and we can move on with our lives. That was a pretty cool segment. Um, I hope, I love your answer, and I love the, what you hope his answer is, because I think the guy you marry will will appreciate this and recognize that this has made you the woman you are and it's brought um, kind of clinical tools that will help you. It's brought a deepening relationship with the Savior. It's brought empathy for other people and will give you better tools as a mom raising your own kids because you've walked this road. So I, and I just, that's kind of talking to you, Audrey, but also talking to listeners that may feel shame about parts of their past. And I, I think owning that the way you did as Ed and just saying, this is not defined me, but it is part of me or part of my past. The blessings of all the work you've done to put that in the past, to me, make you partly the woman you are and, and give you some of the gifts to help other people and to be, and I think that's a really positive thing. And I think our heavenly parents want us all to look at things that have come into our lives that way. And a checklist husband that's sort of just driven by checklists. And I was kind of one of those guys when I was dating that I had all these checklists of things I wanted and didn't want. And I don't had, didn't have eating disorder on my checklist, but back in my, I probably would have thought, well, I don't want to marry anybody that has an eating disorder has had one. That would have maybe been a checklist deal breaker. And I recognized that that was a flawed methodology because I was really trying to find the type of person I was looking for and thinking those checklists were the way to get there. But often, you know, the type of, per I would exclude people because of a checklist mentality that actually were the type of person I wanted to marry. And that one of my checklists was to marry a return missionary. And I married someone who hadn't served a mission, but she had all the Christ-like attributes and gifts and service that came through a mission. And it helped me to realize that I shouldn't have this sort of checklist binary. So I love your answer there. And I love, I, I think there's a lot of good people out there that are looking for people that have had real world experiences 
And mortality can be pretty difficult. It's not like we're supposed to just live these perfect lives up until we're married and then our spouse takes us kind of the finish line. I think we have pretty complicated, messy at times lives before we meet our partner. And I think that's great. I think it's the I think it's the test of character. One of the best parts of your story I love is the the dissonance you felt in those lectures and what you did with it, Audrey. And you said, I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to face it head on. And I'm going to do the work required to get where you are now. And that's cool. Thank you. Thanks. I think, yeah, a lot of times our experiences make us who we are. And our experiences are all so different. And so we can't expect from ourselves or from other people this checklist of experiences or this checklist of characteristics because we I am who I am because of this and I'm very proud of the person I've become I feel like I'm very different than I was even two or three years ago let alone 10 years ago when I was back in high school um but you know if I could take this part of my life away I don't know if I would because it really I don't know if I'd be where I am today without it. And I feel very happy and very confident with my life. And, and, you know, it's okay that I'm not married. I'm, I'm okay with that because I really feel like I have come to know who I am. And this fortunately or unfortunately was something that really, really helped me get there. It's cool. Will you talk to, and you've done this already, but just in this last segment, talk to anybody in the middle of an eating disorder that just is feeling like, I'm not sure this, I'm not sure there's a light at the end of the tunnel. This is so difficult. Will you talk to that person and anything else you'd like to say in a final segment? Yeah. Um, I guess first and foremost, I know how you feel (laughs) and I know that it is extremely hard. Something that we didn't touch on that I do want to make sure that I say was that at one point I was on medication for depression and anxiety. And I think that sometimes stuff like this, it it leads to that. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in needing to go on medication to overcome something like this. And I think in my experiences, the more you open up and the more you share, the more empathy will be available to you. And the better you'll be able to come out from this. And God loves you and I love you. Is that cheesy? <laughs> that's that's great. Well, um, thank you for being on the podcast. I like where you own being single. It was unrelated to this issue, but I love that you just own being single. And I, my wife and I used to tell the YSAs, feel complete now. Don't feel like you're not complete until you graduate or you get that great job or you're married. I just think we need to feel complete now. That doesn't mean we're still not growing and we're still not progressing. But I think uh, the older I get, I want people to feel complete where they are and feel at peace where they are and not just live life for the next, for what is happening down the road that'll finally get them to the finish line. Mm-hmm. So Find happiness wherever we are. Exactly. Um, on behalf of all of our listeners, Audrey, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking about this. I learned a lot. Our listeners learned a lot and, We all admire you for sharing this. So this is Richard Osler and Audrey Chug signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 